We're going to be delving into chapter 33 of the Amulet of Samarkand today. As we move ever closer towards the end of the book, we have 11 chapters left. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at lanktr.ee slash idiotbooknook, where you can find links to our YouTube, links to the Twitch, links to the podcast feed, uh, links to uh, Anchor to leave us voicemail messages if you want to do so. Just all of that glorious, glorious stuff. Um, we're going to be adding Criticize links here, hopefully mm -hmm. soon. So just bear with us. And you could also find our individual stuff in that same link tree as well if Correct. you want to see what we do outside of Idiot Book Nook. Correct. Mm -hmm. uh, my brain just went blank, apparently. We're reading Same. stuff today. We are reading stuff today. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um. There's all sorts of goodness there. Uh, if you can't make the Twitch stream at 9 a.m. on Wednesday mornings, uh, 9 a.m. Mountain Time on Wednesday mornings, you can check out the more cut videos on YouTube, and you can check out the podcast as well. But with that being said, I wanted to just quickly bring something up, because mm -hmm. we now have four people here of possibly redistributing the reading roles and potentially moving Bartimaeus from our narrator to Lady Punnett. What? That, that look? Okay, okay, okay. All right, I just. Blue Dragon does for Bartimaeus. I just. His voice. I just wanted to check and see how you were feeling about that. Obviously, we're not going there, so don't worry about it. With that being said, narrator, would you please take it away? Because I feel bad now, and I'm just going to stop talking. Bartimaeus is a sassy bitch. I'm the sassy bitch of this group. Are you saying I can't be a sassy bitch? You are a sassy bitch, but you're sassy in other ways. You're sassy like a brat. I'm sassy like a queen. <laughs> Don't you look at me in that tone of voice, please. <laughs> I will be right back. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, hold up. There goes Nathaniel. Oh, uh, yeah, there goes... And, and uh, Mr. Underwood, but Mr. Underwood died a few episodes ago, so there's that. <laughs> But I seriously though, I figured I mean there is only like ten chapters left. You guys have very much established all the voices. I have no problems doing the filler characters in the meantime. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, get get yourself get yourself your feet in, just slowly get yourself in the waters of the chaos that is Idiot Book Nook. Yep. yep. Alright. <laughs> Narrator, if you would, please take it away for chapter thirty three. Okay, you sure you don't need to get up for anything else? Please take it away for chapter 33, because I don't have anything better to say at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book 1, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by The Reading Dragon, voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blazewing 2010, Lady Punnett, and Crittershy. Chapter 33 In his dream, 
he sat in a summer garden with a woman at his side. A pleasant feeling of peace was upon him. He was talking, she was talking, and he listened. And the sound of her voice mingled with the bird song and the sun's touch upon his face. A book lay unopened in his lap, but he ignored it. Either he had not read it or he did not wish to do so. The woman's voice rose and fell. He laughed and felt her put an arm around his shoulders. At this, a cloud passed over the sun and the air chilled. A sudden gust of wind blew open the cover of the book and rifled its pages loudly. The woman's voice grew deeper. For the first time, he looked in her direction. Under a mop of long, blonde hair, he saw the genie's eyes, its leering, its leering mouth. The grip around his shoulders tightened. He was pulled toward his enemy. Its mouth opened. He awoke in a twisted posture. One of his arms raised defensively across his face. The fire had burned itself out and the light was dying in the sky. The library room was thick with shadow. Several hours must have passed since he had fallen asleep, but he did not feel refreshed, only stiff and cold. Hunger clamped his stomach. His limbs were weak when he tried to stand. His eyes were hot and dry. In the light of the window, he consulted his watch. 3.40. The day was almost gone. Bartimaeus had yet... Bartimaeus had not yet returned. As dusk fell, men with hooked poles emerged from the shops opposite and pulled the night grills down in front of their display windows. For several minutes, the rattles and crashes echoed along the road from both directions. Like portcullises. Wait, am I? Portcullises. Portcullises. Yes. Yeah, I got it. Right. Portcullises. Yeah. Like portcullises being dropped at a hundred castle gates. Yellow streetlights came on, one by one, and Nathaniel saw thin curtains being drawn in the windows above the shops. Buses with lit windows rumbled past. People hurried along the pavements, anxious to get home. Still, Bartimaeus did not come. Nathaniel paced impatiently about the cold, dark room. The delay enraged him. Yet again, he felt powerless. At the mercy of events, it was just as things had always been. In every crisis, from Lovelace's first attack the year before, to the murder of Mrs. Underwood, Nathaniel had been unable to respond. His weakness had cost him dearly every time. But things would change now. He had nothing 
holding him back. Nothing left to lose. When the genie returned, he would... Evening edition! Latest news! The voice came faintly to him from along the darkening street. Pressing his head against the leftmost window, he saw a small, weak light come swinging along the pavement. It hung from a long pole above a wobbling handcart. The paper boy, back again. For a few minutes, Nathaniel watched the boy's approach, deliberating with himself in all probability. There was no point in deliberating with himself. In all probability, there was no point in buying another paper. Little would have changed since the morning. But the Times was his only link with the outside world. It might give him more information about the police search for him or the conference. Besides, he would go mad if he didn't do something. He rummaged in a pocket and checked his change. The result decided him. Treading carefully in the half-light, he crossed to the staircase, descended to the ground floor, and squeezed past the loose plank into the, out into the side alley. One copy, please. He caught up with the paperboy just as he was wheeling his cart around a corner, off the main street. The boy's cap was hanging from the back of his head. A sprig of white hair spilled out onto his brow. He looked around and gave a slightly toothless grin. You again? Still on the street? One copy. It seemed to Nathaniel that the boy was staring at him. He held his coins out impatiently. It's all right. I've got the money. Never said you hadn't, chum. Trouble is, I've just sold out. He indicated the empty interior of his cart. Lucky for you, mate. Lucky for you, my mate. We'll have some left. His pitch isn't so lucrative as mine. It doesn't matter. Nathaniel turned to go. Oh, he'll be just along here. Won't take a minute. I always meet here near the nag's head at the end of the day. Just round the next corner. Well... Don't you do it. It's a trap! Nathaniel hesitated. Bartimaeus could be back at any time, and he'd been told to stay inside. Wait, told? Who was the master here? It was just around the corner. It would be fine. God damn it. God damn it. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. He said. Just before we continue... I fucking told you the first thing he's gonna do is leave the yep. goddamn building. You called it. You definitely called it. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. Sorry to break the fourth wall. Dandy. Come on, then. The boy set off, the wheel of his cart squeaking and shaking on the uneven stones. Nathaniel went beside him. The side road was less frequented than the main highway and few people passed them before they arrived at the next corner. The lane beyond was quieter still. A little way along it was 
A little way along it was an inn, a squat and ugly building with a flat roof and gray pebble-dash walls. An equally squat and ugly horse was depicted on a badly painted sign hanging above the door. Nathaniel was disconcerted into... Nathaniel was disconcerted to see a small vigilance sphere hovering unobtrusively beside it. The paperboy seemed to sense Nathaniel's hesitation. Don't worry, we're not going near the spy. It only watches the door, acts as a deterrent, doesn't work, mind. Everyone at the nag's heads just goes in the back anyway. Here's old Fred. A narrow alley ran off from the lane at an angle between two houses, and at its entrance, another handcart had been parked. Behind it, in the shadows of the alley, a tall youth wearing a black leather jacket lounged against the wall. He was eating an apple methodically and regarding them from under lowered eyelids. Hello, Fred. The paper boy said heartily. I've brought a chum to see you. Fred said nothing. He took a giant bite out of the apple, chewed it slowly with his mouth slightly open, and swallowed. He eyed Nathaniel up and down. He's after an evening paper, the boy explained. Is he? Fred said. Yeah, I'd run out, and he's the one I was telling you of all in all. The paper boy added quickly. He's got it on him now. At this, Fred straightened, stretched, tossed the remains of the apple down the alley, and turned to face them. His leather jacket squeaked as he moved. He stood head and shoulders taller than Nathaniel, and was broad-chested too. A sea of spots on his chin and cheeks did nothing to detract from his slightly menacing appearance. Nathaniel felt a little uneasy, but drew himself up and spoke with as much brusque confidence as he could. Well, do you have one? I don't want to waste my time. Fred looked at him. I've run out of papers, too, he said. Don't worry, I didn't really need it. Nathaniel was only too eager to repart. Nathaniel was only too eager to depart. Hold on. Fred stretched out a large hand and grabbed him by a sleeve. No need to run off so quick. It ain't curfew yet. Get off me! Let me go! Nathaniel tried to shake himself free. His voice felt tight and high. The paper boy patted him on the back in a friendly manner. Don't panic. We're not looking for trouble. We don't look like magicians, do we? Well, then. We just want to ask you a few questions. Don't we, Fred? 
That's right. Fred seemed to exert no effort, but Nathaniel found himself drawn into the alley, out of sight, out of the inn, along the street. He did his best to quell his mounting fear. What do you want? He asked. I haven't got any money. The paper boy laughed. <laughs> We're not trying to rob you, chum. Just a few questions. Like I said, what's your name? Nathaniel swallowed. Uh, John Luchins. Luchins? We aren't posh. So what are you doing around here, John? Where's your home? Uh, Highgate. As soon as he said it, he guessed it was a mistake. Fred whistled. <whistles> the paperboy's tone of voice was politely skeptical. Very nice. That's a magician's part of town, John. Are you a magician? Nope. What about your friend? Nathaniel was momentarily taken aback. My... my friend? The good-looking dark kid you were with this morning. Him? Good-looking? He's just someone I met. I don't know where he's gone. Where'd you get the new, your new clothes? This was too much for Nathaniel to take. What is this? He snapped. I don't have to answer all this. Leave me alone. A trace of imperiousness had returned to his manner. He had no intention of being interrogated by a pair of commoners. The whole situation was absurd. Simmer down, the paper boy said. We're just interested in you and in what you've got in your coat. Nathaniel blinked. All he had in his pocket was the, all he had in his pocket was the scrying glass, and no one had seen him use that. He was sure. He'd only taken it out in the library. <sighs> My coat. There's nothing on it, or nothing in it. But there is, Fred said. Stanley knows, don't you, Stanley? The paperboy nodded. Yep. He's lying if he's seen anything. Oh, I ain't seen it, the boy said. Nathaniel frowned. You're talking nonsense. Let me go, please. This was insufferable. If only Bartimaeus was to hand. If only Bartimaeus was to hand. He would teach these commoners the meaning of respect. Fred squinted at his watch in the gloom of the alley. Must be getting on to curfew, Stanley. Want me to take it off him? The paperboy sighed. Look, John. He said patiently. We just want to see what it is you've stolen. That's all. We're not cops or magicians, so you don't have to beat the, about the bush. And who knows? 
Perhaps we can make it worth your while? What were you going to do with it anyway? Use it? So just show us the object you've got in your left hand pocket. If not, I'll have to get old Fred to get here to go to work. Nathaniel could see he had no choice. He put his hand in his pocket, drew out the disc, and wordlessly handed it over. The paper boy examined the scrying glass in the light of his lantern, turning it over and over in his hands. What do you think, Stanley? Fred asked. Modern, he said at last. Very crudely done. Homemade piece, I'd say. Nothing special, but it's worth having. Apparently someone disagrees. Apparently. <laughs> he passed it across to Fred to examine. A suspicion took sudden shape in Nathaniel's mind. The recent spate of artifact thefts was a big concern to ministers. Devereux had mentioned it in his speech, while his master had linked the crimes to the mysterious resistance which had attacked Parliament two days before. It was thought that commoners had carried out the thefts, and that the magical objects were then made available to enemies of the government. Nathaniel remembered the wild-eyed youth standing on the terrace at Westminster Hall, the elemental sphere spinning through the air. Here, perhaps, was first-hand evidence of the resistance in action. His heart beat fast. He had to tread very carefully. Is it valuable? He said. Yeah, Stanley said. It's useful in the right hands. How'd you get a hold of it? Nathaniel thought fast. You're right, he said. I, uh, I did steal it. I was in Highgate. I don't live there myself, obviously. And I passed this big house. It was an open window and I saw something shining on the wall just inside. So I nipped in and took it. No one saw me. I just thought I could maybe sell it afterwards. That's all. All things are possible, John, the paper boy said. All things are possible. Do you know what it does? No. It's a magician's divining disc, or a scrying glass, something like that. Nathaniel was gaining confidence now. It was going to be easy enough to fool them. His mouth gaped in what he imagined was a commoner's stupefied amazement. What? Can you see the future in it? Maybe. Can you work it? Stanley spat violently against the wall. You cheeky little sod. I had to punch you hard for that. Nathaniel backtracked in confusion. Uh, sorry, I, I didn't mean... Uh, well, uh, if it's valuable, do you know anyone who might want to buy it? The thing is, I badly need the cash. Stanley glanced across at Fred, who nodded slowly. Your luck's in, Stanley said in a chipper tone. Fred's up for it, and I'll always go along with old Fred. 
we do know someone who might be able to give you a good price and perhaps help you out of help you out if you're down on your luck, come along with us. We can arrange a meeting. This was interesting, but inconvenient. He couldn't waltz off across London to an unknown rendezvous now. He had already been away from the library too long. Getting to Lovelace's conference was far more important. Besides, he would need Bartimaeus with him if he was to get involved with these criminals. Nathaniel shook his head. I can't come now, he said. Tell me who it is or where I need to go and I'll meet you there later. The two youths stared at him blankly. Sorry, he sa Stanley said. It's not that sort of meeting, and it's not that sort of someone, neither. What you, what have you got to do that's so important anyway? I've got to uh, meet my friend. <clears throat> he cursed silently. Mistake. Fred shifted. His jacket squeaked. You just said you didn't know where he was. Uh, yes, I need to find him. Stanley looked at his watch. Sorry, John. It's now or never. Your friend can wait. I thought you wanted to sell this thing. I do, but not tonight. I'm really interested in what you suggest. In what you suggest, I just can't do it now. Listen, I'll meet you here tomorrow. Same time, same place. He was growing desperate now, speaking too fast. He could sense their mounting suspicion and disbelief. All that mattered was getting away from them as fast as possible. No can do. The paper boy adjusted his cap squarely on his head. I don't think we're going to get any joy here, Fred. What say we head oh. off? Fred nodded. With disbelief, Nathaniel saw him stow the scrying glass inside his jacket pocket. He let out a shout of rage. Hey, that's mine! Give it back! You... Oh, wait, no, that's you. Sorry. You missed your chance, John. If that is your name, beat it. Stanley reached down for the poles of his handcart. Fred gave Nathaniel a push that sent him sprawling back against the wet stones of the wall. At this, Nathaniel felt all restraint dissolve. With a strangled cry, he fell upon Fred, pummeling him with his fists and kicking out wildly in all directions. Give me back my disc! The toe cap of one boot connected hard with Fred's chin, eliciting a bellow of pain. Fred's fist swung up and caught Nathaniel on the cheek. The next thing he knew, he was lying in the muck of the alley floor, head spinning, watching Fred and Stanley disappear hurriedly along the alley with their carts bouncing and leaping behind them. Fury overwhelmed his dizziness. It took control of his sense of caution. He struggled to his feet and set off unsteadily in pursuit. He could not go fast. Night hung heavy in the alley. Its walls were curtains of gray, scarcely lighter than the inky nothingness out in front. Nathaniel felt his way, step by fervid step, one hand brushing the bricks on his right, 
listening hard for the telltale squeaking and scraping of the handcarts up ahead. It seemed that Fred and Stanley had been forced to slow down, too. The sounds of their progress never quite faded. He was able to guess their route in every junction. Once again, his helplessness infuriated him. Curse the genie! It was never there when he needed it. If he ever caught the thieves, they'd suffer such... Now where... He paused beside a tall, barred window, caked with grime. Distantly, he made out the noise of handcart wheels banging hard on stone. The left fork. He set off down it. A little later, he became aware that the sound up ahead had changed. Muttered voices replaced the noise of movement. He went more cautiously now, pressing himself close to the wall, placing each footfall carefully to avoid splashing in the wet. The alley drew to an end at a narrow, cobbled lane, fringed with mean little workshops, all derelict and boarded up. Shadows choked the doorways like cobwebs. A faint smell of sawdust hung in the air. He saw the handcart sitting in the middle of the lane. The pole with Stanley's light had been removed from its cart and could now be seen glowing faintly in a sheltered doorway. Within its wan halo, three figures talked quietly. Fred, Stanley, and someone else. A slight figure wearing black. Nathaniel could not make out his face. Nathaniel hardly breathed. He strained to hear their words. No good. He was too far away. He could not fight them now. But any scrap of information might be useful in the future. It was worth risking. He edged a little nearer. Still, no luck. He could tell only that Fred and Stanley were largely silent, that the other figure was holding court. He had a high voice, young and sharp. A little closer. On the next step, his boot knocked against an empty wine bottle that had been placed against the wall. It teetered clinked faintly against the bricks, righted itself. It didn't fall. But the clink was enough. The light in the doorway jerked. Three faces turned toward him. Stanley's, Fred's, and... In the instant Nathaniel was allowed, he only caught a glimpse. But it imprinted itself indeb indelibly upon his mind. A girl's face, pale and young, with straight, dark hair whipping around. Her eyes were wide, startled but not scared, fierce too. He heard her cry command, saw Fred lunge forward, glimpsed something pale and shiny shoot toward him out of the darkness. Nathaniel ducked frantically and cracked the side of his head against the brickwork of the building. Bile rose to his throat. 
He saw lights before his eyes. He collapsed in the puddle at the base of the wall. Neither fully con neither fully unconscious nor awake, he lay motionless, eyes closed, body relaxed, dimly aware of his surroundings. Pattering footsteps came close. A metal scraping sounded. Leather squeaked. He sensed a presence near him. Something light brushing his face. You missed him. He's out, but alive. A female voice. I can cut his throat for you, kitty. Fred speaking. The pause that followed might have been of any duration. Nathaniel could not tell. No. He's only a stupid kid. Let's go. Silence fell in the darkened alley, long after his head stopped swimming, long after the water had soaked through his coat to chill his flesh. Nathaniel remained quite still. He dared not move. And thus ends chapter 33 of the Amulet of Samarkand and God fucking damn it, Nathaniel. Fucking it! He just can't help himself. No. See, this is more proof that he's on his way to become the next Lovelace because of how reckless he is. Yep. He he did he he thought that just because he was better than Bart better than Bartimaeus that he didn't have to listen even though he knows that he is currently being chased down by the police mm-hmm. by Lovelace mm-hmm. that he didn't find it suspicious that apparently this kid who was selling papers suddenly ran out of papers yeah and like you know there was a a descriptor bit that showed that, like, his cap was kind of off. There was a white hair coming down, and his teeth was kind of, like, missing. As if maybe he's actually an older man. Actually, now that I think mm-hmm. of it, was... they're probably all using glamour. Yeah. Because Kitty, who we now know the name of, mm-hmm. described Nathaniel as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, but in those days, like, teenagers saw other kids as kids. And it's not like paper kids probably had a lot of, like, dental care. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but how many kids... Counterpoint, how many kids have white hair? Tons. Or, Or streaks of white hair. Like, how often do you see a kid, a child with a streak of white hair? depending on their different situations. I'm not saying that it's impossible. I'm just saying that plausibly children have often been used to round up other children for thefts and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We are now cemented further with the theory we had that Kitty seems to be like a leader of some sort because Nathaniel described her as holding court. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think at first he mistook her for just another boy as well. Or at least mm-hmm. from the demeanor or the height. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a possibility. This there's a th- I have a theory. That's what I meant to say. I have a theory. That a game theory. Probably, 
Yeah, is it a demon? No, that uh, Kitty might be leader of the resistance. I was going to. Yeah, I'm going to second that because I have. I'm getting those vibes as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if she's a leader, but she might be a lieutenant. Maybe. Definitely in there, especially like with the whole like that's not the kind of person you're meeting. Mm -hmm. Hello, Sir Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Another point I want to bring up. Um, it's interesting because Nathaniel kept describing them as filthy commoners. And the only other commoners we've seen him interact with are his tutors. And we know for a fact that his art teacher, whenever he referred to them as commoners, gave him a look and he would apologize. So it's interesting to see how, with Miss Luten's, uh absence, how it seems that has just stuck even further. The classism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Best Brawl was asking... Yeah, I know. I have no idea what they were talking so about, so... Upper right video is suggesting me. Yep. And in the back left... Which is... Um, yeah, I... It would... It's... Could that uh, be your dress? Uh, no, that would be on the right-hand side, the right, right corner. The left corner is a bunch of my crafting stuff and things that need to be mailed. Or brought with me to Indiana. When oh. I go on my trip. Gotcha. Yeah. So. I think that's what they were asking about. Yeah. No, the, this this is my recording studio crafting space and office and workout space. So, yeah. To answer your question, Best Bra. <laughs> um, some more points that are interesting, I think. So we now know for sure that there's one kid that can sense mm -hmm. magical artifacts. Perhaps I it looks like it's similar to like the detect magic spell though that they can't tell how powerful they are. Right. And there's definitely like he could tell that I there was either something particular or something off about, you know, like his good-looking past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, in the first few chapters, he did kind of run into him. Oh yeah. Oh wait! Oh, oh, they might have recognized him. They might have recognized Bartimaeus. Oh, because Bartimaeus took on a uh, com a, a a repeat form. Fuck. Uh oh. oh but wouldn't Bartimaeus have recognized? No, wait, it was dark. Yeah, it was dark out the first time that he ran into that group. And he, there's so much has happened since that Bartimaeus probably, the only thing that stuck with him was the was the girl, mm -hmm. and the two giant boys. One of them probably Fred, but you know it was also dark, so he probably doesn't really remember all of Fred's features. Just primarily the girl that was running the whole thing. Yeah, because the girl is the outlier of the group. Outliner. Outliner. There we go. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so they know, though, that Bartimaeus is... Well, I mean, we haven't seen any other magicians, like, shapeshift, so they probably think for sure that Bartimaeus is a demon. Mm -hmm. And Nathaniel might have gotten away with the whole, like, oh no, I just, like, met him today. We've been hanging out because homeless kids. Yeah. If he didn't start getting cocky. 
Mm. Circle and attack, thank you for the follow. Thank you. Thank you. Quack. But yeah, no. So uh, Nathaniel got cocky. He thought that he knew better. He doesn't. Mm-mm. Nathaniel is an excellent example of a high intelligence, low wisdom uh-huh. type of character. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's not even just because, well, a good portion of it is because he's 12 years old. He doesn't have the experience to have the wisdom. But it's also because of his own hubris. So, um, with all my characters that I make, I always give... And his upbringing. But a good example... So, here's a personal example for me. With all of my characters, um, whenever I make them, I try to give them a main virtue. Yep. And a main sin. Mm -hmm. So... For example, with Briar, her main virtue is her loyalty, her loyalty to her family and to others. But she actually has two main uh, sins, Mm -hmm. one being her pride and the other that's kind of showing through once in a while, depending on the the bungee push, is wrath. Mm -hmm. Like... She can be, like, the most bubbly, happy-go-lucky, like, yeah, let's do this, this is gonna be awesome, but you say, like, one thing that's even remotely negative about her family, or, um, the one time the one character, another player character called her a bitch before her morning coffee, uh, Briar literally took a plate and attempted to chuck it at his head. Yep. And that's recorded. Yep. That is recorded. (laughs) Um, but, yeah, so with Nathaniel... His hubris is his pride. Mm-hmm. It's number one, his pride. We haven't seen... And I would say his main virtue would be diligence because of his wanting to learn all of this stuff. But the downside is diligence and pride do not go together well. No. Because there's there's a difference between taking pride in your work and having that pride consume you. Yeah. Because with diligence and pride comes recklessness. And arrogance. And arrogance, just before which is we... what we're seeing a lot of with Nathaniel. Yeah. Just before we continue, Sir Glenn, happy birthday! Happy, happy birthday! birthday! Yeah. Sorry, twenty-nine years old. So, Glenn, if you're uh, in the chat still, how does it feel to be one year away from uh, getting your dirty thirty? I'm two months away from my dirty 30, thank you very much. Do you have plans for your dirty 30? Yes and no. We're still cementing them out. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Glenn says old. So. <laughs> mood. Much I, mood. I don't really have anything for this chapter. Yeah. You guys pretty much hashed out all those points. Well, if I... So there is another... So. Going on with the same thing like hubris's Bartimaeus, for all we've seen, hasn't really displayed full on what his cardinal sin could be. For a demon, that's weird. Like, yeah, we've seen, oh yeah, he, he can get annoyed, oh yeah, he has some anger problems. But I haven't been able to pinpoint, like, anything outside him being, like, uh, tired. He's basically tired big brother. He's a tired big brother. I haven't been able to pinpoint, like, a cardinal sin for him. Like, like Lovelace, pride, 
yeah. Underwood, Pride and Wrath. I Mrs. Would... Underwood, I would go with Mrs. Underwood. I, I think it would be naivety. I would actually argue that Bartimaeus has shown his sin in spades up to this point, and that he can't open his mouth without showing it. Arrogance. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Arrogance. I would like to back, I would like to play devil's advocate yet again, that <laughs> there's a difference between being arrogant and being confident in your skills. Yeah. Tell me, Ar tell me Bartimaeus is not arrogant as fuck. I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying he's not arrogant as fuck. I'm saying that at the very least he's able, unlike with Nathaniel right now, he is able to back up that arrogance with skill. Yes. He's but, able to put his money where his mouth is. Yes, but he's still arrogant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking of, like, the seven cardinal sins. Mm -hmm. Because <sighs> I remember those best because it's not because of church. It's because of Full Metal Alchemist. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I kind of figured because, like, the way that you were describing these cardinal sins as personality traits... Yeah, that I got that feel too. But at yeah. first, I thought it was just me positing nope, on my nope. own because <laughs> of uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist, and it's also how because I find if a character, I don't like it when characters are too much of one thing, mm -hmm. which is why, so I don't get overwhelmed. I decide right away. Okay, what is this person's virtue and what is this person's sin? So, mm -hmm. for example, Rochelle Wood. Main one is diligence mm -hmm. and loyalty. Mm -hmm. However, she has slight issues with naivety. Mm -hmm. And she tries to believe the best in everyone. So ignorant. And ignorance. And, um. Well, this is mm -hmm. going to show through a bit more uh, with, the, with its next arc. Um, she's going to show her wrath. Ooh, yeah, because she's got that on. Because she can hit hard. So, she, as most people would have seen, if they're on TikTok and have been part of the Hogwarts professors tag at any point. <laughs> well, um, not just with with her fist. Um, she's gonna hit hard with words because um, uh, spoiler alert: her dad's coming to Hogwarts. Her biological father is gonna make an appearance with her mom. Yeah. You said when it comes to Bartimaeus, you were talking about the seven deadly sins, right? Yes. The seven great vices. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are two that could theoretically fit with Bartimaeus, both of which he has shown at one point or another. Ooh. The first is wrath. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He is shown to be wrathful and seek vengeance mm -hmm. if he feels slighted. And the one that I think actually fits him out of the seven deadly sins, pride. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see pride. Um, the thing is, and I think this is true because Bartimaeus has pointed this out about a lot of magicians, is often their pride is their downfall. Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, we have not seen a single magician that isn't full of themselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, they've been basically portrayed as, like, inherently selfish. And like, as assholes. Yeah, like, that just comes with territory. Magician equals you know, a hoity-toity jackass who's going to brand you underneath his boot if he gets a chance to get some jollies out of it. Mm -hmm. Like, even at the uh, the parliament party, um, 
the young apprentices, the young girls they were discussing, like it it was giving me uh high school click vibes. Oh yeah. Which is like they're twelve. I shouldn't be getting that feeling from twelve year olds. Really? Like, I avoided it. I avoided clicks a lot in high in elementary school because I was the whoa. weird kid. So I was the one that was bullied a lot. Whoa. Same. So I hung out with like the younger grades. What? What? You have an I connected the dots look. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't. theoretically fits. So on a whim, I went on looking up the name Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. Bartimaeus is a name displayed in a fairly prominent religious text, mm -hmm. the Bible. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, he was the son of Timaeus. He was a blind beggar who was healed by Christ himself. Mm. Right, and then later he is called by uh, Jesus. Um, yada yada. However. The, <coughs> according to the, uh, what is it, bibliography information. Um, Wait, Bartimaeus was the blind beggar? Yes, Bartimaeus Apparently. was the blind beggar. Oh my fuck. So I'm just going to read this out here. This is straight from, apparently the Bible has a fandom page. So I'm, oh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read this out here. Bartimaeus is the son of, uh, the son of Timaeus, who was a blind beggar who was healed by Jesus Christ. He is called by Jesus. He was sitting on the side of the road when Jesus was walking through Jericho. When he heard that Jesus was near, he shouted, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped uh, there in the road and said, tell him to come here. Bartimaeus yanked off his old coat and flung it aside, jumped and went to Jesus. Jesus healed Bartimaeus and the blind man could see. The fact that he threw off his coat is significant. As a matter of custom, blind men and beggars wore certain coats to identify them so that people could recognize their needs. Bartimaeus had so much faith that he would be healed by Jesus that he threw off his coat, knowing that he no longer would need the coat that identified him as a blind beggar even before he was healed. Mm. Looking further into the name Bartimaeus... Bartimaeus! A hybrid word from the Aramaic bar, meaning son, and the Greek timaios, uh, uh, meaning honorable. Oh. The name translates literally to honorable son. Oh, fuck. We have seen that Bartimaeus as a whole is honorable. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. a demon. He's an honorable demon, which is kind of an oxymoron. But also, is that where the term blind faith comes from? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Oh, you learn something new every day. For I the mean, Bartimaeus did make a very brief mention earlier on in the book about a time where he was mortal. There's more to it. Mm. For the improbability of the derivation from Bartim, uh, the son of the unclean, and the allegorical meaning uh, the Gentiles are the spiritual, spiritually blind, Bartimaeus is given as the name of a blind beggar who eyes Jesus Christ uh, whose eyes Jesus Christ opened as he went from Jericho on his last journey to Jerusalem. An almost identical account is given by uh, Luke, except that the incident occurred as he drew nigh unto Jericho, and the name of the blind man is not given. 
again, according to Matthew, as they went from Jericho to blind men, unlike Mark and Luke, received their sight. It is not absolutely impossible that the two or even three events are recorded, but so close is the similarity of the three accounts that it is highly improbable. Regarding to them as referring to the same event, it is easy to understand how discrepancies arose, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it just keeps going on there. But yeah. Now I'm just picturing that Bartimaeus was summoned by Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ was a magician. Uh-huh. <laughs> but And that's how he turned wine into water. But And that's how he came back to life three days later. But that later. doesn't explain how Bartimaeus would have become a demon. I mean, I think it's... So hear me out. Hear me out. Jesus Christ wasn't actually the nicest guy. And he, try, he did that to, like, make him seem more holier than thou. I mean... So he got Bartimaeus in a contract. There's <laughs> already theories that he's... Uh, oh, what's that? Has anybody watched Life of Brian? Nope. I've heard of it. Okay, well, essentially, it's a spoof on the story of Jesus Christ, but it's you know, Life of Brian, and some leper comes complaining that he got cured by Jesus, and now he's got no income because he can't be a leper and receive donations. <laughs> That's I'm trying to become a leper again. Oh, also, I don't, I don't think that Bartimaeus was actually that. So, in in this universe, in the Bartimaeus series, I don't think they're the same because Bartimaeus has already said he was a demon when he was in ancient Egypt. Yes. Yeah. However, however, the the name translates to honorable son. And there, mm -hmm. and like I mentioned before, there was very brief mention. You have to like really pay attention to it and really remember. Bartimaeus mentioned at one point he was mortal. Say what you want about Bartimaeus within the Amulet of Samarkand, the the book. Say what say whatever you want about him. Find me a place in this book where he lies or he does not hold true to his convictions and he is not honorable in his intentions at least which we can also allude to the reason why he might be showing favor or he might actually give a shit about nathaniel he is being honorable honorable about this even though he has absolutely no right to he's been summoned he's been held captive uh, nathaniel keeps stringing him along and basically pulling him forward and altering the deal. Basically, I have altered the deal. Pray I do not uh, alter it further. That sort of thing. Bartimaeus goes along with it because he is honorable and it is the honorable thing to do. Also, he doesn't want to get stuck in the tin for all eternity. Correct. That's not oh, we're not saying that there's not like an alternative motive, but he could have done what a lot of demons in the past and in written literature have done in the past, which is try to make the deal more in their favor, use proper oh, yeah. wording, interrupt him when he's giving commands. Just make it so that Nathaniel's life becomes ten times harder than it actually is. And yes, he has done that. He ha No, no, he's done it a couple of times to prove a point, but he hasn't done something that could outright kill Nathaniel. Yeah. He said, I could kill you. He made allusions to the fact of it. But Nathaniel held his ground, and I think that's the reason why Bartimaeus didn't outright kill him. It's because he saw this kid, this terrified kid, hold his ground. And he's like, all right, you get another go. I'm not going to kill you yet. He's growing a respect for this kid. I wouldn't say respect. I'd say a grudging alliance. 
that's an interesting take. Um, one more just on this avenue here. The story, the story of Bartimaeus is that of a blind beggar who could hear despite his blindness, who had faith and had courage, had focus, had a voice that could not be silenced by intimidators, who proved to be unstoppable, and who got his desired miracle, restoration of sight, when he encountered Christ, therefore after followed the healer. Bartimaeus mentioned at one point that he was mortal. Mm-hmm. Has he ever mentioned he's tired of being a demon? I don't think do you so. think he, he pretended? Do you think he pretended to be immortal for a bit? What What does Bartimaeus wish for? What is his heart's desire? Every being, no matter whether you are immortal or not, has one thing that you long for. I don't think he's ever mentioned. Oh, we know it's not ultimate power, though, because uh, he doesn't crave power. Freedom. No. Freedom. He's been wanting to be free from the contract. Well, it's not just like a contract. Like he seems to be perpetually put back in contracts. I think he's kind yeah. of done with that as a whole. Yeah. Are you so, saying he's kind of like genie from Aladdin? Yes. Pretty much. I mean, so, it's free. The the kind of demon he is is a genie. He wants to not. I think he wants to just be able to make his own decisions. In, <gasps> in order, in order to be free from that he would have to be made mortal because demons are inherently bound by those contracts no matter who they are bartimaeus was the genie from oh hundred and one nights a thousand and one nights the young boy was aladdin <laughs> in egypt though hold on it's in, i mean it's the author could have pulled their inspiration from honestly probably because let me let me go to uh, Arabian Arabian Nights. One thousand and one nights. Yeah. Hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. Grabbing a synopsis, I have Britannica.com open. One thousand and one nights, also called the Arabian Nights, the Arabic El uh, Elf Layla Wa Layla. Please excuse me if I have butchered that. A collection of largely Middle Eastern and Indian stories of uncertain date and authorship. Its tales of Aladdin, Ali Baba, and Sinbad the Sailor have become part of uh, have almost become part of Western folklore. Although these were added to the collection only in the 18th century European adaptations. Uh, so we're gonna have to scroll down here. Uh, so they keep mentioning um, Prague. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm as yeah, they do. and samarkand i believe we have determined is middle eastern in origin yes yeah yeah so the names of the characters uh, uh hold on Though the names of the characters are Iranian, the frame story is probably Indian, and the largest uh, proportion of names is Arabic. The tales, variety, and geographical range of origin, India, Iran, Iraq, Egypt, Turkey, and possibly Greece, make single authorship unlikely. This view is supported by internal evidence. The style, mainly unstudied and unaffected, contains colloquialisms and even grammatical errors such as no professional Arabic writer would allow. Egypt was mentioned in that list, so... And e I just checked, Egypt's a part of Asia. Yeah, it's uh, actually on the northeastern quadrant of Africa. It's separate. It's basically a separating divider between Africa and Asia. Oh, Eurasia. Um, let me see here. 
Like, I am fairly certain Jonathan Stroud will not answer this question. But if by perchance he is watching the stream because he has interacted with our Twitter posts and whatnot. Jonathan Stroud, was Bartimaeus the genie from A Thousand and One Nights? Hold on. Holding. I have a wiki here. <gasps> ArabianNights.fandom.com slash wiki slash genie. Okay. So in Islam, I thought of something. sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. no, I'll take it when you, when you're done, just in Islam and pre-Islamic Arabian folklore, a genie or jinn is a supernatural fiery creature, which possesses free will and jinn are mentioned in the Quran, uh, wherein a whole surah is named after them. They can be both good and evil and tend to live in isolated areas. In some cases, evil jinn are said to lead humans astray. In Islam, Satan, known in Arabic as Iblis, is the famous jinn that is the infamous jinn that refused to bow down to Adam when ordered to by God. Give me one second because they actually have a listing here for uh, let's see. List of Jinn in the Arabian Nights, Genie of the Lamp in Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, and then there's the Genie of the Ring in Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp. So there's two genie genies, apparently. Ooh. Uh, let me... I don't want to exit pages. Screw off. I'm trying to see if I can get a link. Mmm. There's mention that there's a powerful entity in the Amulet of Samarkand. <clears throat> True. So, what if that's another genie? Genie of the I mean Amulet. I mean, there's an imp stuck in a mirror, so... Yeah. Uh, if you can stick an imp in a piece of copper. Fairy book. Copper. I don't know if we actually have a name. There, I, I, think the, I, I don't think there's many names when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's mm -hmm. very... Um, name I think it's creature. I think it's because of the whole, like, names hold power oh, yeah. type of situation. There's Let's... also the fact that... Um, Stories as old as Thousand and One Nights, yep. or the Arabian Nights, um, because of how things get translated over time, and how muddled those translations can be, there might be a loss of translation. It's kind of uh, like how, during some of the recent Bible uh, re-enditions, mm -hmm. they changed, uh, the instead of saying, like, the, uh, I hate saying this term, but originally... There was no faggot in the Bible. It was for pedophiles. <clears throat> the video game Sonic and the Secret Rings is heavily based on the story of Aladdin, and both genies appear in the story. The genie of the lamp in, uh, is the main antagonist, known in the game as Erizor, uh, Erizor Jinn, and the genie of the ring, known in the game as uh, Shara, appears as Sonic's sidekick and guide throughout the game. Uh, looking... I have the actual story here. You know, this story might be an interesting go-through. But I was thinking, since... So, um... He mentioned uh, Bartimaeus was quite clear yet not. Like, purposefully so almost, it seemed, when he was describing what the amulet could do. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. Loud huh? noises! Sorry, give I it think a... it was a phone call. Yeah, probably. probably. Um, um, but... 
Did you find anything else, Blaze? I'm looking here. Looking. Just I'm okay. I'm looking. Just bear with me. Just keep going. All right. So since we 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 were determining that we know Bartimaeus during ancient Egypt times was a jinn, and we continue with this theory of what if he was possibly either the jinn from the lamp or the jinn from the ring, or when he was mortal, uh, the blind beggar from the Bible. Well, Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Because we know... Okay, this is like the Disney version. I never read the 1001 Nights. So I don't know if this is all true. But if... If Aladdin wished for the genie to become mortal... Who's to say that when Bartimaeus eventually died... Of old age or whatever... Who's to say he didn't just become a demon again? Well... Here's the funny thing about these stories, these these older stories and mythologies and lore tales that we have. You go back, one of the things I found in I think it was second year university. I was doing a thing on uh, the Great Floods for a class. I can't remember what class it was. It might have been classical literature or some shit. But you go back far enough, and all of these tales, they start to blend together. A lot of cultures share a lot of this same lore. They claim it as their own, and they claim it as, you know, we are the original. But no, they do originally a come... Of the they, same thing. It's a, basically a remix of exactly the same thing. So there's nothing to say, state that, you know, the Bartimaeus in the Bible couldn't be, you know... Genie of the Lamb. It's kind of like... This kind of a decent example oh, how it's universally accepted that foxes are like spirits of cunning and tricksters like uh -huh. if you look like wherever foxes are in the world it is genuinely the same that for animal symbolism they're tricksters they're mm -hmm. cunning and they're mm -hmm. sly yep that's just universally accepted so i just have a thought what's your thought so you know how uh, for the Arabian Nights, Thousand and One Nights, and what uh, what have you, uh, how it's basically a conglomeration of stories traveling throughout Middle Eastern Europe and whatnot. Yes. What else has a whole bunch of tales traveling throughout that roughly the same area? Uh, fucking Bible. I want to say going the... to Jerusalem. Oh, okay. I was going to say the the Grim Tales. That too. But the the Grim the Brothers Grim Tales does roughly the same thing, but in like Western Europe. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder, like, how many of these things Bartimaeus could have been from. Mm -hmm. Like, like for example, like when they were doing the the Lemon Crusades or the Crusades with uh, King Arthur and the Round Table. Mm -hmm. Like, were the dragons just demons? What, did Merlin have a demon? Did Bartimaeus know well, Merlin? No, Merlin was the son of a demon. In the original? Very original. He yeah. was named he was named as a son of a demon. He was birthed from the joining of a demon and a human woman. A demon man. Are you saying he was the Antichrist? He was it, depending on the lore, he was supposed to be, but because of the human side of him being more prominent and the upbringing that he had, he used his demonic powers for good. Mm. Or at least tried to. Okay. Depending on what lore you're going with. 
But no, Merlin is the son of a human mother and a demonic father. Okay. Depending Merlin. on what lore you go. Merlin with. was Bartimaeus' son. No oh, god. <laughs> no, Merlin. Mer yeah, Merlin was Bartimaeus' son. That's what I meant. You okay, Blazewing? You look like you found something. I'm yeah. lost in, in thought. I, I'm lost in research here. Oh no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was yeah, sorry about that call, guys. Uh, no, you're good. Okay, it happens. Happen and I have to pick up. Yeah, you're no, good. Um, but yeah, when what I was going to say is, uh, Bartimaeus made a great point about what the amulet was, sort of, mm -hmm. and how it. Like it's like a, a big old blanket of protection from everything. Oh, yeah. Could it protect Bartimaeus from, say, getting contracted? Aladdin. Well, said, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Bartimaeus said that it protects from magic attacks. But who's to say, like, I mean, if you consider something an attack, would the amulet protect you? Like, like, say, for example. Uh, vicious mockery. Oh yeah. Technically, it's just psychic damage with words. If you consider mm -hmm. that an attack, would it stop it? If he considered a co and contracts ha hurt, mm -hmm. it hurts when you're summoned. So I wonder mm -hmm. if that would be considered an attack, and if he wore the amulet, if it would stop contracts from occurring. Question: mm -hmm. Do you guys have the stream pulled up? Yeah. Uh, one moment. I will. I do still have it pulled yeah. up. Okay. Like, there's a little bit of delay on my end, but yep. yeah, I got yeah, there's, there's always like a 10 to 30 second delay. So you guys are going to wait for this, but I'm vicious, waiting. but vicious mockery. Mm-hmm. Wait for it. One second. One second. Emotional damage. Vicious mockery in a nutshell. Emotional damage. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. That's um, completely true. So, Aladdin and His Wonderful Lamp is a two-reel animated cartoon short subject in Popeye Color Specials series produced in Technicolor and released to theaters on April 7th, 1939 mm -hmm. by Paramount mm -hmm. Pictures. Right. It was produced by Max Fleischer and directed by Dave Fleischer for Fleischer Studios Inc. with David Tendler serving as head animator and music being supervised by Sammy Timberg. The voice of Popeye is performed by Jack Mercer with additional voices by Margie Hines as Olive Oil and Carol Meyer as the evil Wazir. Is Here's... Jack Mercer related to Matthew Mercer? I, I was just thinking that. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the reason I'm bringing this up. The plot. This short features Olive as a screenwriter for Surprise Pictures, working on a treatment of the story of Aladdin that will feature herself as the beautiful princess and Popeye as Aladdin. All the while speaking in rhyme, as she types, her adaptation of Aladdin comes to life on screen, with Popeye having to use his wits against an evil vizier who seeks to control a magic lamp inhabited by a powerful genie. After completing the script, mm -hmm. Olive gets termination of notice, uh, termination of employment notice from the front office, which reads, Your story of Aladdin is being thrown out, and so are you. Surprise! As in so many Popeye cartoons, many of the gags are conveyed using dialogue. As Princess Olive awaits Popeye slash Aladdin's declaration of love, he turns to the camera and remarks, I don't know what to say. I've never made love in Technicolor before. 
during the cinematic battle between Aladdin and the Vizier, Olive screams, uh, Olive screams out, Help, Popeye! I mean, Aladdin, save me! Because uh, in the, throughout the series of Popeye, that's one of kind of her catchphrases. Save me, Popeye? Pretty much. Yep. So basically, she was the stereotypical damsel in distress. Oh, yeah. 100%. Have you never seen Popeye? Um, I saw, like, clips of it, but I never actually watched, like, a full episode, because my family was strictly a Looney Tunes fan. There. Yeah, see, I grew up watching a lot of Popeye. There's There was a lot of Betty Boob. A lot of the old classic cartoons. My mom had a couple of those, like, VHS collections I, I, of classic cartoons. I, so I got to see a whole good number of the, at least the more popular classic cartoons you, especially original casper the friendly ghost are you done are you done scenting me now are you done scenting i'm me? not yeah, yet we don't okay, actually uh, uh we so. are we are kind of dragging on here and just a couple more sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say we probably want to start thinking of wrapping up, wrap up. yeah it's gonna be a longer episode but <laughs> it's a fairly <laughs> It's a fairly interesting discussion, I think. Well, I, I, I mean, can't... I don't think we plan to have a discussion about how there's a chance Bartimaeus is the genie from A Thousand and One Nights. Yeah. It would be cool, though. Right. It would. It's a possibility, and who's to say that he wasn't involved in some of the stories from that? Because depending on how, power, how long Bartimaeus has been considered a level 14 demon, uh, there is a chance that he might have been involved in, like, some minor things well i'm sorry but this as far as i'm concerned there's too much information here that lines up to be a co to be a coincidence um we have an egyptian boy we mm -hmm. have the name bartimaeus of a de uh, as a, a, a basically a demon we've seen that line up kind of the, the blind the blind beggar genie and the book refers to him as a genie yes we have the yeah. Egy we have the egyptian boy Mm -hmm. um, we have the Amulet of Samarkand, which is a Middle Eastern notation, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. It's mm -hmm. mentioned Egypt quite a few times. They keep mentioning Prague, which is Middle Eastern. Mm -hmm. uh, that is, as far as I am concerned, too much of a coincidence for it not to be where the inspiration for where this, where this story was drawn from. Well, also, there's all, there is the inspiration of the blind beggar and how Bartimaeus means son of an honor, son of honorable man. Yeah. Another thing also, um, he, the author, Jonathan Stroud would be well within his right to include that in the story because of the fact that a 1001 nights and the Bible now fall technically under public domain. They're both public domain. They have been under public They're domain now for quite a while. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So if he decided, Oh yes, this, this, this and this and this all work out great for me, even if he's not putting, like, I like how the fact, like, it's interpreted like that, but it's not, like, flat out saying it. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe down the line it will, but there's, like, this buildup of, like, oh, yeah, he was around in ancient Egypt. He, there's this peasant. That's another thing, because we all know that Aladdin was a thief, and he's always just, the first time we meet the, the form, he's in, like, basically a loincloth. I believe it was like mm -hmm. kind of yeah yeah and that would probably be something a peasant boy would have worn back in ancient egypt to keep yeah. cool the only reason that it's not like that in like disney is because let's face it disney is about modesty unless it comes to the females they yep. do still portray aladdin as a street rat though 
Yep. Which mm-hmm. implies thief and beggar. Yep. Which leads even more credence to the... Aladdin was a beggar. Bartimaeus was a beggar in the Bible. What if Bartimaeus was Aladdin? And the human boy form was his firstborn. Bartimaeus was the human. What if Aladdin... And the boy... Go ahead. Mixed up? Oh, bear with me here. I'm going to throw a thought out. Aladdin. Aladdin. The story of Aladdin in A Thousand and One Arabian Nights goes that he had this minor genie. I can't, I, I don't know the, like, all the specifics, but he had this minor genie that he used to go through the Cave of Wonders to get a more powerful genie. Mm-hmm. Jafar was also there, kind of a, a, this evil guy who wanted to take over a neighboring kingdom of Agrabah. Mm-hmm. What if Aladdin got tricked into assuming the genie's power and taking up his mantle? Or a punishment for maybe not keeping his word. Yeah. Or it could have been like how in Jafar, like, if we go through with it, maybe... Oh, oh, wait, what if Bartimaeus took on the genie's form so that way the genie could be free because he wanted his friend to be free? Maybe. You're thinking Aladdin took the genie's place? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to... Like, Bartimaeus was originally Aladdin. Mm-hmm. We don't and... we don't have confirmation. I'm going to go through, I think, um, the story of Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp. And I'm going to do some background information. I'm going to do some background research. I want to start off next episode by talking about this. I'm yeah. going to make some notes. Okay. I don't... Well, no, thinking back, I don't think, like, Bartimaeus became Aladdin. Anyways. But, like... Yeah, yeah. We need to wrap up this yeah. episode. Yeah, I know. we are. Somebody saying hi there, people in the chat. Oh, oh. oh. hey, Jordan. Oh. Hello, chat. Dope. Sorry. But yeah, no. We are. We are going to wrap up this episode. I'm. Just, I'm going to cut us off here. Um, also, Jonathan Stroud. If by chance you do happen to watch this episode or listen to this episode, if you want to confirm or deny any of this, please leave us a note. Please also let us know for- whether or not you want us to give this as public information because we will keep it under wraps if you so choose. Yes. I mean, only 18 plus people should be listening, so I imagine they would know to keep a secret, but, you know, kids. Kids these days. Anyways, that has been it. Or th- this is going to be it for episode 49 of the Idiot Book Nook, um, the, mm. in chapter 33 of the Amulet of Samarkand. We've had some invigorating discussion with this epi- episode. This oh, episode's yeah. going to be a bit longer, so this episode has been a bit longer at this point. And a good way to just end things before we hit our big 50. Yeah. Yeah. We hope that you've enjoyed the journey along with us. Guys, next episode is our 50th episode. What should we do for a big 50? I don't know. Uh, wear fancy hats. Okay. I don't know if I, I mean, have I, I don't know if I have a fancy hat, but I can wear a hat. That's fine. I mean, a fancy hat would be kind of hard with a headphone. Yeah. That being said, if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at linktr.ee slash idiotbooknook. You can find links to our socials. You can find links to our podcast and our podcast feeds. 
can find links to the YouTube and the Twitch if you can't join us on uh, Twitch. Uh, or if you, if you can join us on Twitch, uh, 9 a.m. Mountain Time on Wednesdays, you are more than welcome to. We do try to do live feedback with our guests and with our audience and all of that. Um, thanks for joining us for the yeah. Idiot Book Nook. I'm Blazewing. I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And I am Crittershy. And we will see you guys for the big 5-0.